Now guys, uh, Matthew chapter 12 is the next in the series of great chapters that we're studying over the last three years or so. Um, and we're going to look at Matthew 12, but I want to open with an observation from Matthew 14. Because there's a principle in there that I hope will govern us throughout the rest of the years of our, our, our relationship. Um, you know the story. It's a familiar statement. Um, it's a story about Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Um, in that story, in verse 19, this is what he takes it and he orders the crowd to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Here it is. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. You see what happened. Jesus prays, and then he takes the food, and he breaks it, and he puts it in a basket, and he gives it to them, and they take it to the crowd. <laughs> Guys, the only thing that I have to feed you is, the, some, is something that I got from him. Um, I don't have a private stash. I don't have a private supply, and if my, basket, my, if my basket is empty, it's because I haven't gone to him to get it resupplied uh, often enough. The hope is that in, our, in the years that we have left, that whatever you get fed is something that Jesus put in my basket. And so all I'm doing is just delivering it to you and feeding the people of God. Guys, this does not only apply to me, but our, our church at large. If we're going to feed the world, spiritually and physically, what we're going to have to feed them is what Jesus first gave to us. And if we don't get it from him, we got nothing to give them. But this is where we both must go to get our baskets full so that we can distribute. That's the principle that I hope will govern us. Now, one other thing, going back to Matthew 12 now, our great chapter in our text. Guys, um, I, I, want you to, I want to explain to you the premise upon which I'm going to base my comments over the next, Lord willing, five or six Sundays on Matthew 12. Here, here's, here's my premise about this chapter. Guys, um, if we were left... Um, if we only had one chapter of Scripture, and that chapter of Scripture was Matthew chapter 12, if somehow we lost everything else and all we had left was Matthew 12, this one chapter has enough in it from which we could construct the entire Christian religion and formulate the gospel message. If all we had was this, it would be enough. It's, it's kind of the, the kingdom of God in a nutshell. Now, folks, perhaps I should say that about every chapter that's found in the four Gospels. But I haven't seen it as clearly in those other places as I've seen it in this chapter. So, for the next five Sundays, or the interrupted by the Lord's Supper, but what we're going to see is the kingdom of God unfolding before us in all of its beauty in one chapter of Scripture. It's 50 verses. We're not going to read the whole 50 verses at once, and we're going to have to bounce around in the passage a bit um, to get it all. But there's a lot here 
And a lot here that's profitable for God's people, and I hope that you will profit as we take a look at it. So now, with that said, without further chit-chat, let's, let, let me read my text, which is eight verses, not nine, like it's in the bulletin. That's my fault, not Jean's. Um, I told her nine, it was eight. So fire me. Um, but let me read you the first eight verses of Matthew 12. They read like this. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on, to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him and how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, this chapter opens with a confrontation, as I just read it. It, it opens with a confrontation, and then it closes with a, with a call to a glad submission. But in between those two points, there's a lot in here that I, I, I hope you can see as we go. There's a lot of, I, I would call it almost crucial information for us as we, um, as we get a better grasp of who this Jesus that we love is. The, the confrontation that is here described um, is, of course, over the Sabbath. It's over the law. Jesus is accused by these Pharisees uh, to have violated the Sabbath law. His reply to that accusation um, is, is a multifaceted thing, and we really just don't, we don't have time to look at all the facets, but we're only going to look at one of those facets in terms of his reply to the accusation that he just violated the Sabbath law. Now first, folks, I want you to notice that Jesus in no way does he challenge the Sabbath law. He in no way abrogates um, the, the Sabbath law, the Sabbath law itself. But he is opposing, rather, the Pharisees' interpretation of that law. For their part, they had missed the actual intent of the Sabbath law and then turned it into a, a stage on which they could prance around. They, um, they, they, they wanted to perform. They wanted everybody to see just how religious they really were. They wanted to do some spiritual stuff so that all the people would be impressed. And then they could feel good about themselves when people esteemed them. Guys, 
The Sabbath was intended to provide rest and well-being for mankind. But the Pharisees had turned it into a dog and a pony show. A, um, a place where they could strut their self-righteousness. You know, guys, we could talk for a long time about the, the evils of self-righteousness which the Pharisees sought to display uh, in their law-keeping, particularly the Sabbath. But I don't think that the foremost thought in the mind of the Holy Spirit when he had Matthew write this chapter had anything to do with the law. So, let me develop or prove that or hopefully do so. The real argument in this paragraph is not, it has nothing to do with the law. It has to do with the person of Christ. Guys, go back to my premise that I opened with. I, I, I said to you that this chapter was the kingdom of God in a nutshell. Okay, if that's true, then the kingdom of God and an understanding of it does not begin with law. It does not begin with an understanding of law. It begins with an understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Folks, in essence, what Jesus says in his reply is... Because of who I am, I have the right and authority to interpret the law. I am, in essence, above the law, which makes me the giver of the law. Folks, to read this paragraph, and then get bogged down with the, the laws of gleaning and, and what constitutes threshing or what David did, what David and his boys did in uh, 1 Samuel 21 or what they didn't do is to miss the forest for the trees. Here's the forest. The forest of this text is I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the lawgiver. And you, have, you guys have ruined the law. I'm not the receiver of the law. I am its giver, which qualifies me to be the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, to these guys he says don't you see that there is something greater than the law standing right in front of you I mean don't you don't you get it 
that there is one who is greater than the Sabbath that is speaking to you? Did you not detect that the one speaking to you is greater than the temple? He says in verse 6. You know those priests who are doing all that work of sacrifice and, and are guiltless. But your religion, that religion of self-righteousness, is utterly worthless. Now, gang, the reason I think I'm right, that is, that the main point of this paragraph has nothing to do with the law, it has to do with his person. The, the, the reason that I think that's right is because of something that is said in 40, 41, and 42. Take a look at it. Matthew 40, 41, and 42. He says this over there. Um, For just as Jonah was, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with his generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold... Something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Jonah gets mentioned. Those three days and three nights in the belly of the whale, which is a subtle hint of a resurrection to come. But ladies and gentlemen, the point of that verse is not about the resurrection. It's about as great as the prophet of Jonah was, and he was a biggie. Something greater. A prophet much greater than Jonah. Is standing right in front of you. As great as he was, no other prophet spent three days in the belly of a whale. So that hero of yours, Jonah, the prophet of prophets. There's a greater prophet in front of you. And the the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba. You remember 1 Kings 10? She journeyed from the where down there and came up to see Solomon. And um, all she couldn't say enough about his, his table, how much food was on his table and, 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 and his court. Oh, just, it was just some, oh, wow. And, and the wisdom, oh, my, there's not, there's not anybody as wise as that Solomon guy. And then Jesus says, Wait a minute. Don't you know that there's someone greater than Solomon right here? So guys, let me, let me add that up for you real quick. Let me do a little bit of quick math here. In this one chapter, the claims of Jesus Christ are these. I am greater than the law. I am greater than the temple. I am greater than the Sabbath. I am greater than Jonah. And I am greater than Solomon. So here, 
right here in this one chapter, Jesus has told us that he is the greater law or lawgiver. He is the greater prophet. He is the greater priest. And he is the greater king. Prophet, priest, and king. The messianic role of the Messiah. The long-awaited, long-desired Messiah of Israel will function as the prophet, priest, and king. And Jesus looks at his audience and he says, I am he. The one's greater than the temple. Greater than Jonah. Greater than Solomon. And guys, you want to quibble with me over what David and his friends did or didn't do there in 1 Samuel 21? When standing right in front of you is the consummation of all of your Old Testament types concerning the Messiah? You want to talk about the laws of gleaning? You want to define what, what threshing is? When your Messiah is speaking to you? You guys are so blinded by your own self-righteousness that you are missing the God-provided righteousness that stands right in front of you. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, self-righteousness always blinds. If you're trying to save yourself with your own goodness, you're blind. Folks, here's a principle. When we are taken with our own righteousness, you must always oppose this Christ. As you see here, the, the carnal mind fortifies itself against Christ with its own performance. I don't want people looking at him. I want them looking at me. I want them to see how, how, how much a cut above I am than the rest of you. Why? I attend church most Sundays. How about that? Why you other people are doing other things. And unfortunately, the spirit of these Pharisees has seeped down to our day. It influences us. I see it in a, several ways. Let me mention a couple. Folks, 
You want to quibble over baptism? When we have access to God through the one who is the greatest prophet and the greatest priest and the greatest king? What is more important to you? To be right or to be like him? People visit this church and within the first 90 seconds of our conversation, they want to know what our views of baptism are. You want to quibble about baptism? When what is offered you is the greatest prophet and priest and king? Or, folks, you don't know how much pressure was put on me two years ago when there was a lot of things going on. And the, in essence, the request or the, the point of the request is they, they wanted me to shift the, the message of this pulpit so that I could take up the subject of justice and Black Lives Matter. When I get the exalted privilege to point you to the one who is the very satisfaction of the law, You want me to speak about that? When standing right in front of us is Christ and Him crucified. You dear college-age students who uh, over the past couple of years have gotten caught up in a movement for social justice. Good for you. But if that has somehow supplanted your pursuit of Christ-likeness, then bad for you. You know what you've done? You bought a tree and you missed the forest. Guys, let me wrap this up. The Sabbath, as I said earlier, um, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's a statement made by Mark in Mark chapter 2. It was intended to give man rest and well-being, shalom, great, beautiful word. The, the Sabbath was never intended to bind us. It was intended to set us free. And Jesus says to this audience of skeptics, Lord of the 
the Sabbath. The, the Hebrew term is Yahweh Zabaot. Hey, boys! You want to talk about gleaning? I am Yahweh Zabaot. I'm the one who can give to you rest and well-being. And I'm the one who can set you free. Outside of me, you are left holding the bag. A bag of empty foolishness. No rest and certainly no well-being. Just bondage. Because you've taken law and you've misused it. It was never intended to be the means by which you could earn your own forgiveness. Ladies and gentlemen, if you were outside of Jesus Christ this morning, my friend, you are holding on to empty foolishness. A foolishness that may fool your friends, it may fool you, but it will not fool Yahweh Zabaot. You're feeling all good about your performance, feeling all good about yourself. That doesn't change the fact that God says that you still fall short of the standard, His standard, and that standard is perfection. A perfection that is on display right here in front of you. I am Yahweh Zabaot. So, what you need is not more religious activity. What you need is Him. Folks, what He revealed as a prophet, the greatest of all prophets, He purchased as a priest, the greatest of all priests. And what He revealed and purchased as a prophet and priest, He applies as the king, the greatest of all kings. He told us what he was going to do as the greatest prophet. He accomplished it as the greatest priest. And he applies it as the greatest king. Don't miss that. What this text is offering you, ladies and gentlemen, is not some correct interpretation of law. It offers to us the lawgiver, the only one to have ever obeyed the law perfectly. And because he did, 
His Father is willing to set me free from the bondage of my sin. Because I am related to the Lord of the Sabbath. Our Father, would you show your people here this morning the beauty of Christ Jesus? Father, if you've led people here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, would you open their eyes to see that he's not some kind of religious moral quack, but that he is God in flesh, come, sent by the Father to become the substitutionary payment for the sins of guilty people like us. Might every eye here see him as that. Father, would you use us to announce to the world that um, our job is just to point people to this beautiful Savior of ours. And we pray, of course, in his name. Amen.